Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis 21, how the birth of Isaac was the first step of God fulfilling his covenant with Abraham, and was likely one of the reasons why Abraham named Isaac after the Hebrew word for laughter. Now, this message is available at friendshipwithgod.org and itunes.com. Just search for the Friendship with God podcast. They're there free and available for listening and download friendshipwithgod.org or search for Friendship with God on iTunes.com. Now, Tom Cantor, the owner and operator of the Creation and Earth History Museum, as well as the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teaching radio program here, Friendship with God, he wants to invite you out to Museum Day 2014 on Saturday, September 27th, right here in Santee, California, which is a suburb of San Diego, California, at the Creation and Earth History Museum in our ninth annual Museum Day Festival. It'll be a grand opening of our new dinosaurs and Bible exhibit, as well as a fun-filled day that will give you a chance for you and your family to hear amazing creation speakers, including Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God radio program, as well as Ray Comfort of Living Waters Ministries. He'll be speaking on apologetics in the last days. And Dr. Jason Lyle of the Institute for Creation Research who will discuss what really happened to the dinosaurs. And Eric Hovind of Creation Today, speaking about the flood if it was global or local, and on skeptics then and now. We'll also have other amazing creation speakers, as well as animals after the ark. This year's theme is Noah's Ark. And we will be showcasing real wildlife animals, showing God's design in animal kinds, and everything from zebras to zorses to legless lizards. We'll also have a Creation Kids Club that'll have a Noah's Ark adventure land with rides and games, petting zoo, bouncies and face painting and more. We'll be screening Ray Comfort's new Noah's Ark movie and the new Genesis 3D movie. We'll have food concessions, catastrophic coffee, Ice Age ice cream, shim and ham and J-Pest barbecue, as well as our Creation Bookstore will be open. And again, it's Saturday, September 27th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. located here at Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, you can call 1-800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. You can also go online to creationsd.org, Creation. SD.org. For more information on Museum Day 2014 with Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Jason Lyle, and Eric Hovind, and other great creation speakers and teachers of the Word of God. Now here's Tom Cantor teaching us from Genesis 21 about the birth of Isaac and how Abraham named Isaac after the Hebrew word for laughter. That's a very strange thing to say, you know, except a man be born the second time, you know, and that's all he said. And it was a setup. And so then Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born again? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And it worked. See, the setup worked. Or as he did this very strange thing by asking this detested Samaritan woman to give him some water in John 4, 7 through 9. And cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away in the city by meat. Then the, saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. He did something strange, elicit the question, bring out the question. It worked. And then she was open now for the answer. And then he says something even more strange to her. As he goes on, and again, it's designed to generate another question, and now he starts talking about a secret gift of God 
that's something called living water. He says in John 4.10, Jesus answered, said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou hast asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And it worked. It worked. And so she asked the question, because her heart is now open, and enabled her to bring her the knowledge of God. So the woman saith in John 4, 11, the woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, the well's deep, whence are you going to have the living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, drank himself thereof, and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water, thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, never thirst. The water that I'll give him will be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Very strange words. A well inside springing up, everlasting life, living water. Use the same tactic when the disciples came back. And he says, I have some meat you don't know about. Same thing about the well, the water. I got you know, a gift of God you don't know. I have well meat you don't know. And then so that his disciples said, they asked him the question, has any man brought him to eat? Where's the secret meat? You know? And he says, then the question opens up. He says, okay, my meat is to do the will of God, the will of him that sent me, to finish his work. And then he goes on and he says, don't say there's four months to the harvest. This is right now. Look, they're white, ready to harvest. So all of that is designed by him as a setup to elicit the question. One time there was a Christian, and he was studying the chapter 6 of Romans. Very impressed with it. Especially he was impressed with the verse in Romans 6.4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. And he was so excited about this, and he wanted to explain it to somebody. And so as he was studying this and thinking about it, he wanted to say, he says, boy, you know, especially the verse in 11, in Romans 6, 11, where it says, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead unto sin, indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he was really impressed with this, you know, the reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. And so he had to take this long train ride. And so he gets in the train in England, and he gets in one of those cabins, and there's another passenger with him in the train. This is a while ago when you could smoke in the trains. But anyway, and he's determined to explain this concept in Romans 6 to the man. So they started out, and as the, the trip's long, and the passenger takes out a cigarette, and he offers it to the Christian, and he says, would you like a cigarette, would you like a smoke? And the Christian says, no, thank you, my lips are dead. He says, my lips are dead. And so the passenger kind of looks at him strange, like, you know, there's something not right here, and he smokes a cigarette, see? And then while the passenger is going on, he's getting a long trip, he gets thirsty, and so he rings the bell, and in comes the waiter, and he tells the waiter, I want a beer. And then he turns to the Christian, and he says, do you want a beer? And the Christian says, no, thank you, my tongue is dead. <laughs> he says, <laughs> that passenger again looks at him strange, and the Christian keeps his head down. That pastor keeps looking at him, and he thinks to himself, there's got to be some screw loose. <laughs> this guy here, upstairs. And so the trip goes on, and the passenger takes out a deck of cards, and he starts shuffling the cards, and he says, I suppose you don't play cards. And the Christian says, that's right, my fingers are dead, he says, you know. And so, well, that was just too much, you know, for the passenger. And he just says, what do you mean your lips are dead, your tongue is dead, your fingers are dead? Well, that's exactly what the Christian wanted him to do, to ask the question. So he enabled him to bring out the truth, explain Romans 6. 
See, in all of these cases, it's the design to stir up a question, and that's the reason why God gave to Abraham this strange name of Isaac, of laughter, so that people would say, what do you mean his name is laughter? God's design. His name should be laughter, awaken the question. But the name of laughter, or Isaac, or Yitzhak, was not just to awaken a question in the lost. The name of laughter was also to awaken in Abraham and Sarah a great joy. This chapter is a chapter of joy. It's a celebration, a big party, as we see here. A great joy of what? The birth of Isaac was to wake up in Abraham and Sarah this great joy of what Isaac represented. Isaac's birth represented the first step towards the goal of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. What's a covenant? A covenant is a personal pledge. That's what the covenant is. It was, Sir Abraham, it was a personal pledge by God that he was putting himself, God was putting himself on the line. He said, I'm going to do this. And what was the pledge? We already saw it, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. This is the Lord said to Abraham when he told him to leave. He said, I'm going to go to a land that I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. Make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless them that bless thee. And I'll curse them that curse you. And all the families of the earth be blessed. So the covenant is a land. It's a land of Israel. 1948, when Israel became a nation, this is a ragtag army without weapons against millions of Arab enemies and the British with weapons. And it's a miracle. It was God making good on his personal pledge promise from Genesis 12, where it says a land. And then he says a great nation. So that the land was not just some uninhabited land, but here comes the Jewish people and they're coming from Europe and from Russia and from the U.S. and they become a nation among the nations. Wasn't that Netanyahu's book? I think it was called that. A nation among the nations. You go to the airport and you see these planes with all these different flags on America and South Africa and so forth. And then all of a sudden comes in the Star of David and it's thrilling. It's a nation among the nations. And he says, and then a blessing. He said, I will bless you. And how is it that the Jewish people are so successful, whether in business or science or arts, there's only one explanation. It's the blessing of God. And then they said, the role of being a blessing. The Lord Jesus Christ, all the apostles, the disciples, all were Jewish. And they all brought the greatest blessing of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ to the world. A promise to bless those who bless the Jewish people. America has enjoyed the blessing of God because they've stood with the Jewish nation, at least up until now. And then a promise to curse the Jewish people. Countries who have turned their hand against the Jewish people experience a curse of God. There's almost like a resounding vacuum as far as the knowledge of God goes in some of these countries. But the greatest promise was that all the families of the earth would be blessed. What is the greatest need of all the families of the earth? The greatest need of all the families of the earth is to be saved from their sins, to have an eternal family, to have an eternal life, to have an eternal home in heaven after death, to have peace with God, to be friends with God. That's the greatest need. So through Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ comes. He's the blessing to all the families of the earth. That's the ultimate goal of this promise, this personal pledge, Abrahamic covenant that God made. The coming of the Messiah to save the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in human form. So the birth of Isaac is the first step. 
It's the first step toward fulfilling this covenant, and it's a cause for great joy. And so in verse 3, when he, he, Abraham called the name of his son Isaac, it's for the purpose of a celebration, a celebration that God had begun to fulfill the purpose, the promise, the goal of giving the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. After Abraham is named his son, we now see in verse 4, and Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. So we see Abraham here circumcising Isaac when he's eight days old. And what's the reason why he did that? It's told that. As God had commanded him in verse 4. In this birth of Isaac, we see Abraham doing something very significant. He circumcised his son as God commanded him. Here in verse 4, he has a newborn son. It's Abraham's only son. It's Abraham's son who he loves. And God has just called Abraham to take his newborn son, whom he loves, and do something that is only a practice for what he's going to do 30 years later. When, where we are now in this chapter, when he's a newborn son, he takes him to circumcise him. 30 years later, in the next chapter, in Genesis 22-2, is going to be the call from God, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. So just as Abraham in verse 4 was called by God to take a knife in his hand and cut Isaac, this practice, 30 years later, God's going to say, you know, take now your son and go to Mount Land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I'll tell thee of. And just as Abraham in verse 4, he takes the knife, he lifts it up over his son, 30 years later, we're going to see in Genesis 22.10, Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. See, it wasn't easy for Abraham to circumcise his son, as we saw in the case of Moses. Moses didn't circumcise his son, and it made God angry in Exodus 4.24-25, to the point where God was ready to kill Moses over this issue, where we read, and it came to pass by the way of the inn, that the Lord met Moses, met him, and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. Man, you think you have some difficult wives? <laughs> but in verse 4, see that Abraham, he didn't hesitate to obey God and circumcise his son. He went right ahead, which shows us how important it is to obey God in the little things so that we'll be ready when he calls us for the great things. And so we look at verse 4 and we see that this is preparation for his life's greatest uh, event. So now, verse 5, the spotlight still on Abraham. We see verse 5, there's an emphasis. Abraham's 100 years old. And so as we look at this scene, there's great joy and God directs us to focus in on the age of Abraham and really to focus in on the fact he's 100 years old when Isaac is born to him. It just shows how miraculous this birth of Isaac was. How impossible it was for Abraham to have a son at his age without God. It emphasizes that the birth of Isaac is all of God. The birth of Isaac prefigures the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5 emphasizes to us the impossibility of it all. It causes us to look at his age. He's 100 years old. That's impossible if it was not for God. And as impossible as it was without God for Abraham to have a son at the age of 100, so impossible was it without God for a virgin to conceive, Isaiah 7, 14, and have a son. It's so impossible as it was for God the Son to be given to man. 
as it says in Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So impossible was it without God for a child to be born who was the mighty God, the everlasting Father, as we learned from Isaiah 9, 6. From John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God, John 1, 14. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. It is impossible without God for the world and the universe to exist. It's impossible without God to have an explanation of how the world exists. What was the probability of the resurrection? (laughs) Very improbable. But it's impossible for the Lord Jesus Christ to leave an empty tomb that we can go visit today in Jerusalem. So pointing our attention in verse 5 to the fact that Abraham's 100 years old leads us to repeat the words we already saw the Lord Jesus Christ said, with God all things are possible. Now in verse 6, it starts with three very important words. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so it all here. Someone might say, why should we listen to what Sarah has to say? Because Abraham's the star of the show. But in the Bible, God has his hands on the spotlight, and he controls where the spotlight shines. And throughout the Bible, it's important for us to see what God chose to turn that spotlight and to shine it on. And here we see that God has chosen to turn the spotlight on Sarah and hear what she has to say. It's very instructive for us as we look at these few verses in Genesis 21 of how God changes the spotlight from Abraham to Sarah and Abraham to Sarah back and forth. The spotlight is changing between Abraham and Sarah to show us how much they both were involved in God's work. Being the family to bring Isaac through whom the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come through. It shows us how much both Abraham and Sarah are what are called in 1 Peter 3, 7, likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Your prayer should not be hindered. So we talk about how important Abraham was, but Abraham was an heir together with Sarah of the grace of life. And so the spotlight changes in verse 6 from Abraham to Sarah And we can see God with his hands on the spotlight changing it. And what he's doing here is he's saying here, I'm giving honor to Sarah by changing the focus. In verse 6, God is saying, I'm giving honor to Sarah. As that verse in 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. Let's hear what Sarah has to say, God is saying. Not that it was difficult to hear what Sarah had to say, but she's going to teach us something, God says. It's something going to be good, something going to be valuable. And so God wants husbands to say, let's hear what my wife has to say. It's going to be valuable to hear. Let's hear what she has to say. It'll be good. So now we have these valuable words that Sarah has to say to teach us. In verse 6, Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. That's the first thing she says. So here we see that Sarah is saying, I am a changed person. The change has happened. It's been done by God. Just as it says in Philippians 2.13, God works in you to change you. He works in you. He changes your will. He changes what you do. So it'll be of his good pleasure. Isaiah 26.12, The Lord, thou wilt ordain peace for us, for thou also hast wrought all our works in us. So the works, the doing, is all the work of God in us. Jeremiah 31, 33, he's speaking about the new covenant he's going to make 
with the house of Israel. He said, this shall be my covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I'll put my law in their inward parts and write them, write it on their hearts, and then I'll be their God and they shall be my people. And then the king said, that he may incline our hearts unto him. Turn us so that we care about God. Turn us so that we're interested in God to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments. So before Sarah had this scornful laugh, yeah, scornful laugh. It was a laugh of unbelief. She didn't believe God could make her have a baby. She laughed. She laughed. That was a laugh of unbelief. Same type of laugh in Psalm 22 when they said, um, let him deliver him. They mocked. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. That's mockery. And so in Genesis 18, 12, we had read that Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I'm waxed old, shall I have pleasure in my Lord being also? That was a laugh that Sarah had concealed. She hid it inside of her. Sarah heard what God said to Abraham outwardly. She didn't show any outward sign of unbelief, but in her heart of hearts, she didn't believe it, and she mocked it. And now Sarah is saying in herself, out loud, God's really made me to laugh because he's changed me. And now she's saying, I'm laughing. I'm really laughing. I'm laughing when I look at the impossibility of it and the promise of God. And I'm crying, it shall, it shall be done because God said it. So God made me to laugh. So she looks at God's promise and she finally gets it from Genesis 18, 14. Nothing's too hard for the Lord. Nothing is too hard for the Okay. So by saying in verse 6, God made me to laugh, She's teaching us how we should view impossible situations. You know, we look at, the gra- at our graves, maybe by a grave plot, anyway. Look at the grave, and we look at God's promise in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, where it says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we look at the impossibility of rising from the graves in the new body, and we laugh. We laugh in the joy of believing God in spite of how impossible it is. That's what Sarah teaches us. God's made me to laugh. And she looks back on it. She says, God made me to laugh. One day we're going to stand in heaven. We're going to stand in heaven. We're going to be like Sarah. We're going to look at all the impossibility of getting to heaven. And we're going to say, God made me to laugh. God made me to laugh. Then she says another statement at the end of verse 26. She said, God made me to laugh. And all that here will laugh with me. Now, Sarah says, all that here will laugh with me. The question is, how are those all that she's referring to going to hear? And the answer is, Sarah says, don't you worry about that. (laughs) Sarah is going to make it her business to make sure that they all do hear. Because she's going to tell them, Sarah's going to tell them. When she says all that here, she's saying, you can't hold me back from telling them. I'm going to be unstoppable from telling others what God has done. See, first, Sarah took time to consider what God did for her. She did what Samuel told the Jewish people to do in 1 Samuel 12, 24, when he said, Fear the Lord, serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he hath done for you. Consider how great things he hath done for you. Take time to think about the great things that God has done for you. That's the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ The Lord Jesus Christ, he heals the ten lepers. And there's only one that that gave him thanks. In Luke 17, he entered into a certain village, met him ten men that were lepers. They stood far off, lifted up their voice, said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. It came to pass as they went. They were cleansed. 
One of them, one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back, loud voice glorified God, fell down on his face, giving him thanks. He was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not ten? You know, maybe you can picture, maybe he held up his hand. Were there not ten? And he says, ten. One gives thanks. Where are the nine? He says, where are the nine? Those are convicting words that he says, where are the nine? And the real question he's asking is, why didn't the nine give thanks? And the answer is, the nine did not do what Samuel told Israel to do. They didn't consider how great things he hath done for you. They didn't consider it. So the nine, they were just glad to get out of the predicament. They wanted to forget it, get rid of everything it represented. They were lepers, destroy all the photos. And the only reason, only reason we don't give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ is because we don't consider and take time to consider how great things the Lord has done for us. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Did you enjoy this Bible teaching, Old Testament teaching radio program with Tom Cantor? Then we need your support to stay on this station. To support us with a one-time donation, go to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can donate right online. Or if you'd like to make a one-time donation or a reoccurring monthly donation to support Friendship with God or Israel Restoration Ministries, you can call us now at 800 800- 247-3051. Again, that's 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Or again, go online to friendshipwithgod.org to learn more or go to israelrestoration.org to learn more about Jewish evangelism and supporting the Jews being reached with the gospel first. So that number again is 800 247 3051 800 247 3051 thanks for listening